I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And as we continue our journey of looking at the Lord Jesus Christ from different angles, yesterday we had the privilege of seeing what it looks like to have faith in his person. And now we want to look at faith in his perspective. Faith in the perspective of what God sees when he sees a soul. Now as you come to John chapter 4, it's a, it's a passage so familiar that we have the opportunity to miss it. As we're surrounded by incredible creation, it's actually quite easy for me to walk from uh, where I'm staying over to Lower Pines Campground, and even by day two or three, to not just be admiring the massive rocks around me or the incredible staggering trees that rise above me. It's easy to just miss out on details that I get used to over the period of a few hours. How much more so the Word of God that we've seen many times over. So if you have in your mind whatsoever that John 4 is such a familiar passage, you already know it, I am speaking to you far more than any other individual in this amphitheater. This message is for you. You have grown cold and lukewarm towards the Word of God. You are assuming that you know what God has to say to you, and you are the one he wants to wake up this morning. And I speak to myself as well. Obviously, I prepared, and I could assume I know what I'm going to share. But the Holy Spirit's going to hijack this message, and he's going to do what he wants to do. So I'm going to pray that right now. Father in heaven, I ask that you do what I just said, hijack everything. Nobody in this place needs to hear from Nate or Ken. They need to hear from you. And Lord, if anybody gets any glory but you, that's a failure. Father, we want you to take it all because you're the only one worthy. And Lord, if I say anything that's not guided by you, have mercy on us and mute our minds. But if it is from you, put it so heavy on our hearts that we have to respond. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, when we come to John 4, it's interesting to take John 4 in a, in a juxtaposition with John 3, because with these two chapters, you're going to see a, a, a very big difference. In chapter 3, we have a man seeking God by night. In chapter 3, we have a woman who's not seeking God by day, and yet God is seeking her. The first chapter, John 3, is a religious somebody. Chapter 4 is a religious nobody. And you'll, you'll understand what I'm saying here in a minute. But more than just that, as we walk through this passage, I'm not going to read it all at one time. I want to walk through it. And we'll make points as we go because I think as we walk, we're going to see it's a journey that all of us are on in some way or another. But there's something important that, that we need to understand as we read this first portion, the first six verses. And that is that the Lord Jesus Christ is setting a scene for all of us. And maybe some of you are familiar with the old Disney movie, The Parent Trap. And if you are, you'll remember that it's two kids, twin sisters, that are trying to reunite their separated parents. And their method of doing it is they recreate a love scene from earlier in that relationship. They set back up the first date of their parents in at least the first version. The second version, I think they actually set up more so like uh, a little bit later on, whether it's their marriage on the cruiser, I don't know, something like that. But they recreate a memory. I want you to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do the same thing. And this is not the only time he does it. Remember with Peter? 
In John 21, it says he built a charcoal fire. There's only two charcoal fires in all the Bible. In John 21 and John 18, what happened at the first charcoal fire? Peter denied Jesus three times. So the second charcoal fire, three times, Jesus says, do you love me? He recreates the scene for him, doesn't he? Well, Jesus is about to recreate a scene, and we're going to see his perspective on souls and on us this morning. John chapter 4, let's begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 6 to start with. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. All right, we've got an entire scene that's been set here. Now, we could talk about verse 4 where he had to pass through Samaria. And if you know your geography, you know he didn't have to pass through there. I'm not going to focus on that. Have fun with it later. You can see the heart of Jesus Christ looking for a soul. That's beautiful stuff. But again, we have to focus in. If you're taking notes, first thing I want you to write down, just write down the well. Just the well, okay? Just put it there and let's talk about it. Look what Jesus does. He comes to this area outside Samaria. If you visit Israel today, you can actually go visit this exact well. A lot of locations in Israel, it's, they're not very known or exact. This one is quite agreed upon that this is the spot. But notice, Jesus chooses Jacob's well. All right, pause. He's not doing anything ambiguous here. If you know the word of God, you know what Jesus is doing. Let's talk about what happens in the patriarchs' lives to start with. In Genesis chapter 24, Abraham sends out his servant, and his servant goes to a well, waits at a well, until a woman comes named Rebekah, who ends up being the bride for Abraham's son Isaac. Then you've got Genesis 29, Jacob goes to a well, and at the well meets a girl named Rachel, who is his bride. Exodus chapter 2, Moses goes to a well, and at the well, Zipporah comes, who is his bride. Jesus goes to a well, waits at a well for a woman, and he's going to talk about marriage later on. This is a love story unfolding. Do not miss what Jesus Christ is doing. This entire story is about the Son of God and his heart for humanity, his heart for souls, his heart for us to know him intimately. So as we walk through the story, we've got to see what's on the heart of God, and that is that this is about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The first thing is there is a well. But there's more than just that. The second thing I want you to write, there's a well, there's also the weight. Why is there the wait? Because notice, Jesus is there before the woman. I don't like this story to be called the woman at the well. It's not really about the woman at the well. It's about the man at the well. 
It is. He's the one at the well. She just comes to draw water. He's wearied from his journey. He's already hanging out there. He's waiting for her. Let me tell you this. In your life, we're going to all be convicted if we let the Holy Spirit speak to us this morning. We will be. But listen, the Lord's already waiting where you need to be. He's not waiting for you to do something to get to where you need to be so he can talk. No, no, no. He's waiting for you. You see, he's made the first move. It's not that you have to perform in order for him to speak. Listen, he'll speak and it's only through his strength that we move. So he's waiting. But there's something else. Did you notice in verse 6 what it said? It said, it was about the sixth hour. This is so vital. You see, I've been living in a country, most of my life I've lived in countries like this, but in the last five years I've been living in a country called Niger. Niger is the least developed country, at least in 2016 and 2017, least developed country in the entire world. And one thing about our country is we draw water at wells most often. Now, in the capital, we have some, you know, running faucets and whatnot, but well is the common place. Now, if I took you to a village in Niger, and let me talk about heat. Even California in your Los Angeles heat wave last week, that was normal weather. My house in the middle of the night with no electricity, no air conditioning, nothing like that, 102, 103, very common inside my house in the middle of the night. My thermostat goes up to 139.8 degrees. Don't go off of that. You say, that's impossible. Heat doesn't get that much. Listen, when the heat cakes the sand, bakes it up, it gets that hot. It's not the temperature Google will tell you. It's the temperature it is. Now, here's the thing. With all that being said, I'm going to tell you one thing that does not happen in these lands. What is the sixth hour? It's not 6 a.m. It's not 6 p.m. It's right in between, isn't it? It's 12 noon. I want to make a simple statement, but a simple and profound implication. And that is that nobody goes to the well at noon. Unless. Unless they don't want to be seen by anybody. If somebody is going to the well at 12 o'clock in the heat of the day, I can take you to a well in Niger. In the morning, you'll see literally 50, 75 kids playing by the well. You'll see their moms drawing water from the well. You'll see their dads out in the field. You'll see donkeys pulling the ropes, pulling the water up. You'll see all kinds of activity. Social center. Go there at noon. It's dead silent. Not even the donkeys are hanging out at the well at 12 noon. But this tells me something about this story that's vital for us to understand. And that is that this woman did not intend to see anybody that day. I wonder about us this morning. Some of us may be hiding things in our life which you don't intend anybody to see. And I don't say that in condemnation. I say it with a beautiful sense of the Holy Spirit wants to convict you. He wants to draw things out of your life that you don't want drawn out of your life because he knows that the way for you to get past your past is to recognize that the cross has dealt with your past. And if you want to be free as a follower of Jesus Christ, listen, being saved is not merely something that happens where you're saved from your sin. Yes, But daily, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we must recognize that the cross frees us 
so that we can walk with Jesus Christ. We don't have to live in bondage to sin. We can live recognizing the desperation like we talked about yesterday of who we are, but what Christ has done for us. So we'll get to that. So enter number three. We've got the well, we've got the weight, now we've got the woman. Let's look at this woman for a few minutes. Picking up in verse seven, here she comes. I can just picture it. I see those hills over in the, in, in the Samaria area, the Palestinian territory today. And here comes this solitary figure coming over the hills. Jesus, wearied from his journey, watching this figure approach. Verse seven, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you say to me, Sorry, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Let's just pause there. When we read this portion, I think especially in uh, 2018, we can kind of we can kind of assume a chauvinistic point of view. We can kind of assume like, okay, here's this guy saying, hey, woman, give me a drink. We can be like, you know, kind of approach it like, like, just serve me. Do That's not at all what's happening. In fact, if anything, this is one of the most appropriate verses for 2018 in our culture. Jesus Christ is doing the exact opposite of that. He is breaking every social barrier. He's breaking every cultural faux pas. And instead, what he's doing is he's extending a relationship to a demographic of society that people would deem a religious Jewish individual ought never to encroach upon. Not only a Samaritan, not only a Samaritan woman, but a Samaritan woman where if you knew who you were talking to, there is no way you would talk to her. But what does Jesus do? He starts the conversation. And I, I, his point is so simple, but the point is incredibly profound if you let it sink into your heart. The same is true for you today. I, I don't know what you're trapped in, but I, I, I just want to let you know I'm totally not naive. I look at you all as a fabulous group of a lot of you Christ lovers, but let's not be deceived. We're hiding a lot. So much within the church that we don't want anybody to find out. I work with young people, and maybe some of your assemblies have even gotten this letter. I'll tell you, there's incredible abuse going on in churches. Incredible stories. Not going into it right now. Incredible, absolute devastating relationships within local assemblies. I'm not talking other so-called denominations. I know we don't call ourselves a denomination, whatever. Get over that. Just There's incredible abuse happening. There's incredible addictions that are going on from prescription drug addictions to pornography addictions. And I'm not just talking men, I'm talking women to affairs that are happening in local churches right now. And you say, not in this group. Oh, yes. How often? Okay. There are all kinds of other things that are grabbing our attention. We've got addictions to media. We've got addictions to our jobs. We've got addictions to American dreams. What we find ourselves in is we're not unlike this woman at all. 
And what the Lord is going to do today is he says, give me a drink. All he's doing is he's identifying, I love you. Like, I I know where you're coming from, all right? And you're not going to start the conversation with me because you're going to assume I don't want you yet. You got to go change your life. No, 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 no. Give me a drink. Let's start the dialogue right now because I'm already bridged the gap. I came to the well. I've been waiting for you at 12 noon. Here you come. Let's start talking. This morning, the Lord is ready to talk. And listen, if he's ready to talk, he's also ready to forgive. And if he's ready to forgive, he's ready to redeem. And if he's ready to redeem, he's ready to use. My friends, do not be discouraged. This is the morning where your life can change forever. Because there's a man at a well. And his perspective of you is not that you're too far gone. It's not that you've messed up too far much. It's not that in some way you've discounted yourself from use. It's I want you today. This is for you. And so he says to this precious woman, give me a drink. And what does she say? How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? All right, we'll come back to her a little bit more in a minute. But let's just keep going for the sake of ending at the time we need to end at here. Which... 1020. All right. So going on here, we see the well, we see the weight, we see the woman, but look at what Jesus says in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? I love that question. Yes, he is. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty For the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. After the woman, the next thing we see is the water. What is this water he's talking about? Listen, listen, this is so simple again. She comes every day to a well to draw water. The next day, she runs out of water. She comes back to the well. She draws more water. They drink it. They cook with it. They wash dishes with it. They bathe in it. The next day, she comes back to the well and draws more water. You get the point, right? Day after day, the same routine. Let me ask you, what well are you going to on a regular basis? It's not necessarily a bad well. It's just a well. You're going there for affirmation. The well might be somebody. And it's, it's just like, man, I just need to hear again. Good job. I just need to hear again like that, that I'm a value. I need to hear again that like I've got purpose. Okay, so you go to that well. Or maybe it's a well of like, man, I have to prove myself. And so it, whether it be uh, fishing and catching a good fish or, or whether it be uh, working and earning a certain amount of money or whether it be a certain lifestyle, a house. I mean, whether it be making good grades in school, I don't know for you. But what well do you go to constantly looking for affirmation, looking for that sense of I mean something? She keeps going to the same well over and over. But get this, she's thirsty again. Any well we go to, That is not the source of life. 
is always going to leave us wanting more. I look at the church. I seriously look at the church. I'm not being melodramatic at all. I look at the church and I say, most of the church is not content. We're, we're, just, we're aching. We're longing for more. We're bickering. We're gossiping. We're slandering. We're complaining. Are we really happy? No, we're not. I don't know what well you're going to, but if you're complaining and bickering and slandering and gossiping, I'll tell you this much. You haven't gone to the well Jesus is inviting you to. You might have been saved. You may have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your salvation from sin, but I don't think you're enjoying his sanctifying effect on your daily life. Because what does he invite her to? He says, I want to give you water where you'll never look again for anything else. I remember years ago in my village, uh, I I went out to buy tomato paste okay nothing significant and uh and i, and I walked down to my friend's shop his name's ahmed and i said ahmed uh, uh you know you have tomato paste blah, blah blah he sells it to me and then i thought okay it's almost christmas time let me invite him to a party at our house so i say hey ahmed we're having a christmas party i would love for you to come attend and uh as i invite him there's another guy in there he's got this really long beard he makes you look like you don't have a beard all right like a really long beard and he says uh Am I invited too? I said, yeah, of course you're invited. You're my neighbor. He says, but are you sure you want the Al-Qaeda at your party? I said, well, if you're the Al-Qaeda, and we have a lot of Al-Qaeda in our neighborhood. I say, if, you, if you're the Al-Qaeda, then of course I want the Al-Qaeda at the party. Like, why not? Well, that kind of sh- shook him. So he said, he said do, you, do you believe the prophets? I knew what he was asking, but I went along with it. I said, of course I believe the prophets. They point to Jesus. He says, no, 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 no. Do you believe all the prophets? Now, I knew what he was telling me. He was saying, Nathan, do you believe in Muhammad? So I said, uh, his name's Habibullah. I said, Habibullah, you're asking me, do I believe in Muhammad, right? He says, yeah. I said, well, I came here to buy tomato paste, didn't I? He says, yeah. I said, now, Habibullah, if I find tomato paste, which I did, am I going to go home and cook? Or am I going to go to another shop and see if I can find more tomato paste? He says, you're going to probably go home and cook. I said, you're right. In life, I was looking for true hope. I was looking for legitimate peace. I was looking for love that has nothing to do with my love. I was looking for that eternal life that does not have anything to do with if I can perform, but is given to me. And when I come to the Lord Jesus Christ, I found all of that and so much more. Muhammad came 600 years after Jesus. Why would I keep looking when I found absolutely everything in him? My search ended. I've gone home to cook. Listen, you may have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, but let me ask you, are you enjoying him? Because when you start to enjoy him, he's altogether lovely, like altogether. You will find peace and joy where complaining no longer becomes an option because you know he's good and that he loves you more than you love yourself. And you don't have to go back to that well and draw more water because that water is not going to satisfy. He's brought you to the source and now it's living water, bubbling water, flowing water. That's the word. And you've got it. It's constantly drinking. Why? You're filled with love so the world gets loved even when they offend you. You're filled with peace so even in turmoil, you've got peace. Do you have this? Let me ask you, what wells are you going to for it? Because there's one well that satisfies again. 
don't feel condemned but convicted. If this is not you, you can have it this morning. But it's not about religion. It's about a love story. He comes to a well and he says, I want you. Enjoy me. Get to know me. I'm the source of all good. I don't give you peace. I am peace. I don't give you love. I am love. I don't give you joy. I'm the source of joy. In other words, intimacy, not a vending machine. And so this woman encounters water. But then we come to the next thing and we see the word, the word that Jesus says to her. And when he says it, it seems out of place until you know it's a love story, right? What does Jesus say to her? He says, all right, go call your husband. I mean, where does that come from? It comes because he's in a love story. Go call your husband. Listen, listen. Oh, this is so important because if you miss it, you're going to miss the heart of God. Really, you'll miss it. When he says, go call your husband, one of the first things you can assume is Christ is being mean. He's bringing up painful past. He's digging up her dirt and he's going to make her feel bad. God is not doing that. When he brings up your past, like Peter, it's solely so that you can be healed from its effects. You need to realize that your love to your core and at the core and at the bottom of your life, God knows all that. He wants you to know that he knows it so that then he can say, that's the person I love. That's the person I want. I don't want you for any goodness. I want you for you. I died for you. And so he gives her a word. Go call your husband. What does she say? She says, I have no husband. He says, you're right in saying you have no husband. You've had five. But the man you're with now is not your husband. What's he doing? Two things. He's addressing her past. You've had five husbands. Then he addresses her present. He says, but the man you're with now is not your husband. Listen, he knows your past and he knows what you're doing right now. He knew where she was. It wasn't like, oh yeah, I had five, but now I realize I need to just not be with anybody. No, she's still in it. She's just so desperate realizing it didn't work. She's like, there's no need to get married. I'm going to break up with you too. You see, the Lord does something here. He addresses her shame. Some of us have taken our sin to the cross of Calvary, but I really believe some of you are not free because you've never taken your shame. You realize that Jesus didn't just die for your sin. He died for your shame. He hung there in utter shame naked on the cross of Calvary, being mocked by humans that he created out of love and that he died for out of love and he died for their shame. When I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day and ultimately before God the Father, I'm just going to tell you, I don't have to be ashamed. He's going to look at me and he's going to see Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ bore my shame. I know who I am, my friends. There's a great old hymn that says this, well may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all, a thousand more. Jehovah knoweth none. In other words, Satan brings up my past and I say, hey, devil, you're missing some. 
I know, you're right. Those are all me. And there's more. But I am a sinner saved by grace. Christ died for my sin. Christ rose for my eternal life. He paid for my shame. And now my life is hidden with Christ. Yes, that is who I was. But that's not who I am. I am in Christ. And when Christ appears, I will appear with him in glory. See, I don't have to live in shame. If you get to know me really well, you'll get to know that I don't have a clean past. I might be preaching. I don't have a clean past. I'll tell you, my heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord searched my heart. He's told me that. But I got Christ. He does not expose her shame. He does not expose her current sin. Just to make her feel bad, he does it so she can realize his love. You realize that you'll recognize the love that God has for you when you're willing to recognize the depth of his love for you. There's a dear man named Muhammad in Egypt, and that's not giving away any information because almost every family has a Muhammad in their family if you know Egyptians. It's true if they're a Muslim family. Well, this Muhammad came to know Jesus Christ, and when he came to know Jesus Christ, he suffered greatly for his faith and was oftentimes thrown into prison. But it was an interesting prison sentence because they told him, yeah, it was apostasy, and so they said, you're free if you'll just totally renounce your faith in Jesus Christ. Like, the prison doors are open. Not only that, they threw him in the cell where they kept uh, the violent criminals. So violent rapists, violent murders, uh, any of those that had actually committed a violent crime. And get this, this is not made up. They said to those in his cell, they said, you can do whatever you want to him. This man renounced Islam. So you can imagine what happened. Well, they would bring him out to torture him, okay? And the way they tortured him is they would hang him by his hands, dangling, and then they would beat him with rods. So his body's swinging all over. And they'd take their cigarette butts and they would burn his skin at the same time. And, and, and they would just say, just recant Christ and you're free. Well, this went on for a long time until one day the Holy Spirit gave him wisdom. And as they were beating him and telling him the same thing, he just gently interrupted them and he said, I have no problem with you continuing to beat me and do what you do. But you can stop asking me to recant Christ because I don't think you understand his love for me. The love of God is like a spider's web. And I am like a moth. And I got stuck in the web of God's love. And when you beat me and all that, I wiggle and try to get out. And the more I wiggle, the more stuck I become. Because I realize his love knows no bounds. So you can do what you want, but I, I can't escape this love. My friends, if you know Jesus Christ, this is his love for you. Like this woman at the well. Our time is getting very short, but I want you to notice what this leads to. When you receive this word of hope from Jesus Christ, what, what, what does that bring us? It brings us to worship. And what is this worship that the Lord desires? Look down further. The woman brings up worship. She says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet in verse 19. And she asks about this mountain or that mountain. Look at what the Lord Jesus says down in verse 23. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Listen, this is again a beautiful truth for us practically. God is not primarily seeking worship. Think about that. God's not primarily seeking worship. Why do I say that? 
because he can get worse about anything. I mean, come on, the rocks can cry out. The mountains can. The trees are going to clap their hands. I mean, he can get us. God wants worship. He can get it from anything. What is he seeking? Worshippers. And you might think, okay, I'm a worshiper. No, no, listen, you want to be a, a more worshiper? I know, bad English, but you want to be more of a worshiper? Know what you were saved from. Know the depths of your heart and realize at the bottom of that is a cross where the Lord Jesus Christ took it all upon himself, everything. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for Nate Bramson. I am in Christ. He knows all my secrets. He knows all my disobedience, intentional and unintentional. He knows all the, the desperate thoughts of my heart that are not of him. And he says, Nathan, that's the version I love. And I am greatly glorified when you worship me knowing who you are and knowing who I am in the light of that. I want to challenge you this morning. What God wants from you is a worshiper who's willing to go into the world and desperately proclaim, I found a savior. That leads us to the end of this whole thing. The last two things in my last, I think I have six minutes left. The last two things is this. Look at verse 28. There's a water pot. After we see this word and after we see worship, we see a water pot. Look at verse 28. It says, so she left her water pot. Whoa, what did she come with? One thing. She came with a water pot to get water. She leaves without one thing, the water pot. Get this. She came looking for something and she left, leaving what she thought she came for. I, I don't know why you're here. I don't. The Lord knows, but I just want to suggest to you, you may not have come to Yosemite Bible Conference for the reason you thought you did. Could it be there's something in your life that you did not intend for anybody to know or even to address with the Lord? And he says, I want you healed. And you're going to be healed by my love. You're not going to be healed by your actions. You're going to be healed by my love. By recognizing what I think of you and what I've done for you, and in the light of that, you're going to say, I'm leaving my water pot at the well. Because that was the wrong well. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is for you. I really don't. Uh, the Holy Spirit hasn't told me that's what it is. But you know, let him speak to you. She left her water pot. Let me ask you, what water pot do you need to leave at Yosemite? What water pot do you need to leave this morning right here in the amphitheater? Just leave it. I don't know what it is. Where are you going for your source of whatever is bringing you peace and hope and joy? And what do you just need to leave? What idol do you have in your life that you say, man, this has taken the place of God's love in my life? The last thing I'm going to say is this. She left a witness. What do I mean by that? How did she come? She came in private shame and she left in public sharing. When you get down a little bit further and you get down to verses like 36, 37, 38, 39, what she goes back into town and she lets actually, I think the verses are a little later on, not so much 36, uh, actually down to 39. 39 through 44, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. I love that. He told me all that I ever did. Listen, you may have come this morning in 
private shame. You may have come with lots of secrets. You may have come with nobody knowing really who you are. But when she left, what did she do? She says, I, I just met somebody that told me everything about me. And, and people are thinking, everybody about you? There's a lot about you that we don't even know. But this man does. I'll tell you what. What the world's looking for is not a better version of yourself. They need to see Jesus Christ in you. And that happens when you're broken. When did the light shine through for Gideon? When Gideon went to fight the Midianites, he took that pot and put a light in there. It wasn't until the pot was broken that the light shone and there was victory over the enemies. Brokenness in scripture is a beautiful picture of God in us showing his glory. And where does brokenness happen? Brokenness happens when sin is confessed, when sin is repented of, and when we turn to our Savior and we realize what the world needs is not our goodness, but God's grace. We have the chance this morning in Yosemite to proclaim to each other the gospel that saved us. And it's not going to be with beautiful words, but it will be with a broken life. Did you notice her progression? She started out earlier and I think verse nine and she called him a Jew. When you get down to verse 11 and verse 15 and I think verse 19, she says, sir. In verse 19, later on, she says, I perceive you are a prophet. A little later on, she goes back to town and she says, could this be the Messiah? And then the town says, indeed. And when I say indeed, it means she already said to them, indeed. This is the savior of the world. It didn't take very long, did it, from her to go from a Jew to the savior of the world. I don't expect us all just to have a journey that ends at the conclusion right away, but will you get to know this Jesus? Will you let him reveal to you who you truly are so you can enjoy him for who he truly is? An all-sufficient Lord, savior, bridegroom, soon-coming king? You will find him altogether beautiful. You will find in him no fault and you will absolutely fall in love with the one who so loved you with a cross, with an empty tomb and with a crown of righteousness soon to be yours. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, let's pray. Father, thank you for this precious story of a man at the well. Thank you for faith in your perspective of our lives. That it's not our sin so much that separates us as our pride and our refusal to confess that because you have bridged the gap. You have paid for our sin. You have completely covered it saying, it is finished. I've died for your sin. I've died for your shame. You're mine if you say yes. Lord, I pray this morning that you would bring healing not only to those who have never come to you as their savior, but to those of us that have confessed. I pray this morning we would realize we have a savior who desires intimacy and that intimacy is not found in wholeness. It's found in brokenness. And in that brokenness, you are the one who builds us. God, may we be the ones who leave our water pot at the well this morning and go out of here proclaiming, come meet the most amazing man who told me everything I ever did. Thank you for inviting us into your love story. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.